Well, good morning. I recently received this postcard in the mail with this great invitation. Here's what it says. Dear Mr. Merrill, you and a guest are invited to join us for a private grand revealing of our newest luxury resort hotel. Located on the majestic shores of Barbados, this five-star luxury experience is for our valued guests only. If you RSVP today, you will receive an upgrade to our exclusive penthouse suite. Mr. Merrill, take advantage of this special promotion and come and experience the luxury for yourself. So I went to the website. I checked it out. I looked at the gourmet experience you could have fixed by five-star rated chefs. I went to the place where you could book the attractions on the glass bottom boat and the diving experiences. I saw it all. And then lastly, I checked out the price. We're not going. (laughs) But you know, as I looked out at the gray sky last week, and as the weather set in got a little colder, and the trees started dropping their leaves... I couldn't help but look out my office window and just think about what that hotel would be like in the middle of winter. The Bible tells us over and over again to to fix our eyes on things above. It tells us to fix our eyes on things that are unseen. It tells us to put our treasures in heaven. You know, the very first century Christians, those that were like the first generation who walked with Christ, saw Christ, and started the early church, they had a one-word prayer in anticipation that God would come back, redeem this world, and take them to a heavenly home. That word was Maranatha. It just simply meant, come, Lord Jesus, come. And what they did was they looked beyond the gray, the cold, the lifelessness of this world, and they had a hopeful expectation of a home that was awaiting them in a place called heaven to be unified and reunited with God and Jesus and other believers in the faith. You know, we've had so many questions about heaven. Uh, Well, at least your friends had questions about heaven. And I want to do my best over the next 25 minutes to try to answer those questions, to talk to you about an infinite place where an infinite God lives. I hope to do that in 25 minutes. No problems, right? And I think one of the great difficulties about talking about heaven is not the lack of information. There is so much information in the Bible. It's the misinformation that we've added on to or, or we've kind of misread or just don't completely understand. Like when I was growing up, I used to believe that heaven was about halos and harps and hallelujahs. And you know what I thought as a kid? I even think about it if it was like that now. Boring. Like I don't, if, if that's heaven... Keep me here on earth where there's oceans and mountains and family and friends because if it's just about harps and halos and hallelujahs, I really don't want much to do with it. But the Bible tells us it's far more beyond that. Like it's so much greater than that. Randy Alcorn in his very popular book called Heaven had said this, Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He need only convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. And if we believe that lie, we'll be robbed of the joy and anticipation. We'll set our minds on this life and not the next life. Like if all we think about is that it's harps, halos, and hallelujahs, we've been deceived by Satan because it's so much greater than that. And I think, I think it's so difficult to wrap your mind around a place that you've never been to. Like before I ever visited Yosemite Valley in California, where I believe that if God were to ever have a throne room, it would be in the Valley of Yosemite. I read the reviews. I saw the pictures online. I tried to do every, my due diligence to find out what that place was like, but there was nothing compared 
to standing in that valley and looking at El Capitan and Half Dome and the falls and the water and the streams and the beauty, the majesty of that place. I can't even explain it to you. I just have to say, let's just go and let's just take some time to hike it and experience the beauty for yourself. Here's what Jesus said about heaven. He said, in my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Okay, there's many rooms in heaven. There's many, there's, it's spacious, and he's preparing a place. That means progressive. He's continually preparing. And just think that God created this whole universe and the galaxies, which are still expanding, in six days. Friends, that was uh, 750,000 days ago that Jesus said that. Can you imagine the magnitude of heaven? And to fully understand it, I mean, really, honestly, is just beyond our perspective. It's like these fish in this bowl over here. Like, all they know is this bowl. They just know this one-gallon environment. That's all they're reduced down to. And it would be like me trying to explain them the vastness of the ocean. Hey, fellas, I know you are happy here. I know this is your home. And I know you're satisfied because you're with your friends. And, and this is all you can see. You can see a little bit beyond, but it's blurry. But there are 365 million trillion gallons awaiting you if you could just make your way to a sewer and find it. There's got to be a toilet with your name on it that can be flushed so you can get there. Like, how would you start to explain that you're living in a one-gallon world when there is a vast ocean, 365 million trillion gallons awaiting you? And yet, this is how, this is how we're living. We're living in our one-gallon world, and God's saying there is so much more. There's so much greater things that lie beyond. And here's what I think about heaven. I think heaven is a place of endless exploration, like we'll be continually discovering in heaven. It's not just about harps and halos and hallelujahs and, and just kneeling before the throne of God. It's about endless exploration. And I think some of you in this room, you might even argue with me and say, well, how can it be about exploration when, when we already know everything there is to know when we're in heaven? That's a misnomer. You're not going to know everything there is to know in heaven. If you did, you would be God himself. And that's not who you are. I think it's going to be like when we were kids, when you'd run out to the backyard or to the playground and you'd meet all your neighborhood buddies and you would you just have an adventure all day long and, and then you'd wake up the next day and you'd have a new adventure for that day too it's just going to be seasons of of ongoing discovery every day we're going to find something new revelation chapter 21 verse 5 puts it like this it says god says i am making everything new notice the tense he doesn't say i have made everything new like i'm done i am making and just like science is teaching us now that the galaxies are still expanding that god is still creating within this world just imagine the creation that god will never limit himself to just keep expanding friends there are new mysteries on the horizon for us in heaven mysteries to uncover Created by an infinite God who loves to create. Heaven will have no end. You just think about the learning you can do in heaven. You can meet with the men and women of the faith that you've always wanted to meet with. Like if you want to take leadership courses, you can hear from Moses and he'll teach you how to be a good leader. I, I'm fascinated with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I assume I can go, I can hear their story live and they can tell me about it. Maybe we'll even take a field trip to the, to the lion's den. Maybe you've always wanted to preach. You could take... A preaching class, Preaching 101, taught by Evan Nave. Oh, don't laugh. I think he'll be in heaven. <laughs> Instead of listening to us preach, maybe we can just listen to you preach. That sounds like heaven to me. I think beyond, beyond learning new things, there's going to be all sorts of new areas to explore. I mean, just think of the greatest travel you've ever been on. Think of the greatest adventure you have ever taken. I heard one great preacher say that 
Heaven will be like this interplanetary discovery, which totally blew my mind. That if God has all these unique planets here on earth, just think of the systems and planets possibly in place that God will have. And you'll be able to go to visit those and, and walk around. I don't know. I just know it's going to be endless. And I know that when the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about trees, and it talks about streams, and it talks about lakes, and it talks about seas. Isaiah says it talks about mansions and houses and vineyards. John's, who is the, John the Revelator in the book of Revelation says that there are mountains and there are cities abuzz with activity that are gorgeous and pristine and magnificent. And friends, all of that is just a small grain of sand on this great vastness of a seashore that God just lets us have a look into, plus the blurry vision of our tank into the next world. Heaven is going to be a place of endless, endless exploration. I think, number two, heaven is going to be a place of reunion relationships, don't you? Heaven's going to be this incredible reunion. As a matter of fact, Jesus sums this up in one of his parables in Matthew 22. He talks about a great wedding banquet, and he, he lays that down and says, this is what heaven is going to be like. There aren't there two times in particular where your family usually gets together, like your extended family? Two times. Funerals and weddings. And Jesus says, heaven's going to be like a, a wedding where there's celebration, where there's excitement, where there's reunion, and where there's activity, where there's fun, and there's food, and there's fellowship that's involved there. And I, I think there's going to be this amazing reception that we're going to have. And there's going to be seats all around, and you can just go talk to loved ones that, that you've been missing. Loved ones that have passed away in the Lord. I, I, I know there are going to be a couple of people there that I just want to meet so, so badly. Like I know at one table, I know my, my grandparents from my mother's side, Cleve Clifton Clore. Now that's a great name, isn't it? Cleve Clifton Clore. And Mabel Ruth Clore. My grandparents will be there. I never met Cleve, never met him. My grandmother uh, passed away when I was in college. My grandfather passed away long before I was born. Uh, he was a heavy smoker. Friends, smoking doesn't keep you out of heaven. It just gets you there quicker. And, and I can't wait to meet with them. And I know, you know what? I know there's going to be a line to meet them. They, they were part of a church plant that started up, kind of like a Vincennes thing in Fullerton, California. Just a little under 70-some people back in the 60s. And they helped to plow those fields and evangelize Southern California. And today that church is almost 9,000 people strong. I'm looking forward to heaven, to having a great reunion with three people that I absolutely love and just can't wait to see again. People I miss dearly, like my dad, my mother-in-law, and Jesus, just to embrace them and give them a hug and tell them I love you one more time in person. But as that wells me up, I think about a harsh side about heaven, a reality that I've got to speak to. I mean, I think to not speak to it would be would be cruel. And, th and that's the question, what if our loved ones on earth are in hell? <laughs> Won't that spoil heaven for us? Like it could be your unrepented dad that passed away or that spouse that never accepted the Savior or an atheistic kid who died too young and never welcomed Christ into his life. I, I know it's terrible to think about. I understand that. But it deserves an answer. And I just think that there's a great mystery here. I don't know really how to explain this, but I know that hell is not going to rob the joy of heaven. I know that. It's not going to veto any of it. And I do know this, that in the fullness of understanding, the fullness of understanding really has to do with we will recognize God's justice clearly. We'll understand how he judges and why he judges and why he sends people to heaven and why he sends people to hell. And we will also recognize in the fullness of God's grace that none of us are worthy of a beautiful place called heaven dwelling with God for eternity. 
And we'll recognize that we are all sinners who are in need of grace. And we don't deserve to be there. Only because we embrace Jesus and depend on him as Savior is why we're there. And I think with this question being asked, like, if we're in heaven and loved ones are in hell, what would we do? How will we handle that? Friends, I don't think that's going to be a concern of our heart. But may it be a pressing matter of today. Like in full maturity, why don't we just walk out of here with a list of names of people that are close to us and say, I want them in heaven with me. I want to give them a chance to be in heaven with I want them to embrace grace like I've embraced grace. I think the biggest question that we've received is this. Will we recognize our loved ones in heaven? You ever thought about that? Like we won't be wearing this skin, clearly. That skin's going to be fading away. We won't be aged or be showing age in heaven. And if you have a child that has passed away or a baby that has passed away or you had an old grandfather that has passed away, they're not going to be in their aged form. We're going to be clothed in full maturity, fullness of mind, fullness of body. But what's that body look like and how will we know? Well, 2 Corinthians points it out in chapter 5. For we know that when this earthly tent, I love that term, a tent is temporary. Don't get used to it, guys. And don't get overly concerned about it either. This earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body. Now that's not the same as the physical body, that's an eternal body for us by God himself and not made by human hands. So we're going to have something specially created for us, designed by the grand tailor, God himself, that fits the environment that is needed. And you can find out more about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 what our bodies will look like. The Apostle Paul alludes to it, but he never expresses in, in, in great detail what it is, but he says, just as birds have feathers and wings and have light bones so that they can fly in the sky because that's perfect for their environment, and just as fish have scales because that's perfect for their environment, you will have a body that is fit perfectly for your new environment of heaven. Now, I don't know if that's like six arms. I don't know if that's wings. I don't have a clue what that actually looks like. I know there's some wild creatures in heaven that have like four faces. I don't want four faces. I'll tell you that. I don't want to look that way. One is covered with eyeballs all over them. I hope I don't get that body, you know. But I know we're going to have the body that's perfectly equipped and adapted for heaven. Exactly what we need. Because God is the master tailor and he's going to make sure of it. So if we have a new body, how are we going to recognize one another? How are we going to know? How am I going to know you are you and you're going to recognize I, I am he, right? Well, the Bible in 1 Corinthians 15 points this out too. It says we're going to have our personalities still. Now, for some of you, that scares you. But this is like perfect personality. No more quirks. No more little things that uh, get under our skin. We'll have our personality imperfection. And, and the Apostle Paul says, just like you know the sun is the sun, and you know the moon is the moon, they have their personalities, they have different splendors. And just like you can look up into the heavens and you can see a million stars in the sky, you can still point out the Polaris. You can still point out the constellation. You can still point out certain stars amongst it. Why? Because of their splendor, their personality. And, and Paul says it doesn't matter what body you have. You will be able to recognize your loved ones based on their personality. Doesn't that, doesn't that make you just like overjoyed that there's going to be this great reunion in heaven just like when peter went on the mount of transfiguration who did he see up there he saw elijah and moses now how did he know those fellows when they died thousands of years before peter ever could see he never saw a picture something about their splendor something about their personality gave it away he said it's it's elijah and moses that are there with jesus that day 
Friends, heaven is a place of new and fresh relationships, too. Maybe this world's been hard on you relationally. Maybe your, your relationships have been with, filled with abuse and pain and heartbreak and manipulation, and it's been difficult for you to keep friends and to keep people close to you because you've either pushed them away or they just don't understand your humor, don't understand your personality, and every time someone gets close, they seem to fall away. Heaven's going to be opened up to a multitude of people. And you're going to have this perfect personality. And others are going to have a perfect personality as well. And you're going to have some great new friendships to come that will last for eternity. And new friendships to develop over time. And of course, there's this great reunion. A great reunion with Jesus Christ himself. I mean, just think about this for a moment. The one that you have been singing about. The one that you have continually been reading about, the one that you talk to in prayer, the one that you hear about, the one who you completely depend on as your savior over your sin, you'll be able to grab hold of his nail-pierced hands, and you'll be able to give him a long hug. And if you ain't into hugs, you can give him a fist bump. If you ain't into fist bumps that explode, you can give him a high five. But you're going to be able to grab hold of Jesus, the one that you have been singing and praising and worshiping and longing to see face to face. And friends, I think it's going to be an absolutely overwhelming, mind-blowing reunion, don't you? It's a place of endless exploration. It's a place of reunion and new relationships. And and it's got to be a place of understanding and purpose. Understanding, like in heaven, you'll understand exactly why it is that God has allowed you to walk through the muck, to go through the fire, to go through the pain. As we asked the question last week, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? I think Evan answered that very wisely by saying, God does, God does not orchestrate the bad, but he allows us to march through it. Why, you say, why? Well, we'll know exactly in heaven why. We'll know exactly in heaven why. We may not understand fully here, but we'll know there We do understand here, though, that God is more interested in our character than our comfort. Why? Because he wants to refine our soul, something that lasts forever. God is more interested in our holiness and our happiness. Why? Because he wants to see his eternal children in heaven with him. And we have to recognize that anytime we go through the fire, that God's hand is on the thermostat controlling that heat and making sure that we can have a way when we don't think there is a way. To trust God and to have faith in him. See, heaven, I think, will, will see this big picture of our lives. It, like that, like if you've ever seen the backside of a tapestry, you've ever seen a tapestry and you've looked on the backside, it's just a mess of pulled yarn, different colors, different sizes, different thicknesses, and it doesn't make sense to anything. But, but if you've ever seen the front side, then you, it all becomes clear. And when we get to heaven, we're going to see what God has been weaving and why he pulled that thread that way and why he moved this from there. And we're going to recognize that there's a big picture that God has always imagined and he's been weaving and we will say, I get it now. This is why God allowed me to go through that. I get it now. This is why God put that person in my life. I get it now. This is why I went and was a part of that person's life. I get it now. I think heaven will be a place of immense purpose as well. We'll serve God there. Revelation chapter 7 and 22 points out that heaven will be a place of serving and it will be a place where there'll be productivity and meaning. And I know you're like, well, we'll be working in heaven? Like that hits you wrong because like right now your job is like you totally it dissatisfies you. There's nothing about your job right now that's clicking with your spirit. It's all physical, it's all mental, it's all strength, but there's no there's no heart behind it, there's no soul behind it, there's no spirit behind it. But in heaven there will be. Like those moments at church where where serving just goes so well and everything seems complete, and you walk out of these, these doors, and you go, I have just helped somebody get closer to Jesus. Or those moments in your nine-to-five job where, where you have those times where you go, boy, that felt good. I felt really productive that day. That's just a small sample of the kind of productivity 
and good works we'll have in heaven. You have to remember that long before sin ever settled in in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve were asked to tend and to work the Garden of Eden, and they found great pleasure and delight and meaning in that. And it wasn't until sin crept into this world that we were under a curse and things became, became difficult for us, and we had to work the ground by the sweat of our brow and the thorns and the thistles and, and, and sin has made work a nightmare word for us. And God, who is the master redeemer, says, I'm going to redeem that stuff. I'm going to redeem work again. And you're going, I don't want to work. I don't want to work. Okay, for some of you, your profession won't be up there, so you're off the hook. Like, uh, police officers, you won't be needed because sin is not in heaven. Funeral directors, you won't be needed because death is in heaven. I'm kind of wondering if I will be needed. In heaven. I'm not sure. I'm trying to, the jury's still out on that one, I think. Insurance agents, not needed. Dentists, thank God, are not needed. I mean, they'll be there, but they, they're not needed up there. And the curse of work and exhaustion will be eliminated as we serve our holy God and do it reverently and out of love. Friends, our mission will be to glorify him, to serve him, and it will never end. And of course, if there is work, there has got to be rest. So you're like, I'm looking forward to that. Remember, God worked six days in creating this world and then rested. Sabbath is, is near and dear to his heart. And there's going to be rest. The, the scriptures teach us that there's going to be like power naps. And there's going to be times where we're just refreshed in God. Remember, Jesus calls us all to him and says, would you just rest in me? God is about rest and lifting the burdens away. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10. For anyone who enters God's rest, that's death, also rests from his own work. That's your job, just as God did from his. And now you're saying, you're like, preacher, you just told me for five minutes that we are going to work in heaven. Now the scriptures are telling us we're going to rest. No, no, you're going to rest from the work that has toil, that has hardship, that has blisters, that causes scabs, that causes mental fatigue, that causes heartache in your life. You're going to, you're going to rest from the work that has no productivity. You're going to rest from the clocking in. You're going to rest from having someone bossing over you. You're going to rest, and you're finally going to be liberated to serve the way your heart has always wanted to, in a way that's meaningful, purposeful, and glorifying God. It's going to be a place of understanding and purpose. And heaven is going to be a place of celebration and reward. you got to believe that. It's going to be a place of celebration and reward. It's talked about all the time in Scripture. And I can't imagine what the, what the worship experience is going to be like in heaven, can you? I can't imagine what it's going to be like. You ever had those moments on Sunday morning that you walk out of here and you just go, my soul has been ministered today. And you're like walking out on cloud nine out of this place and just think how, how great and glorious worship will be in heaven I imagine times of celebration that we have in heaven will just be absolutely that way where it just floods our emotions and floods our soul, and we're just, we, we just can't really express what has happened in our heart. I think heaven's also going to be a place of rewards. One of the questions that was asked is, are there levels of heaven? Maybe you were taught that, like there's realms, there's levels, three levels, nine levels. I don't know whose book you've been reading, but there's levels. But the Bible doesn't tell us that. Dante tells you that, but the Bible doesn't tell you that. There aren't levels in heaven. And if, if there were levels in heaven, you know what level we'd be on? We'd be living in the basement is where we'd be living on. There aren't levels based on reward, but there are rewards in heaven. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul clarifies it over and over again. And just like an athletic team has an award ceremony at the very end of the season to celebrate and to highlight their success, there's going to be something like that in heaven. There's going to be an awards banquet. And Paul says there's going to be handed out the crown of righteousness 
There's going to be handed out a crown of gold. There's going to be handed out a crown of life. And honestly, I'll tell you what, I don't care about crowns. I really don't. I don't care about those rewards. All I care is about the one who is placing it on my head. And that's Jesus. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Bible tells us that all of us in this room, it won't matter what the crown is. We're going to place it down before the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he's the MVP of the team. We're going to say, you're the one that deserves this. The rest of this stuff is just participation trophies. We'll lay down our crowns and we'll express our deep love and appreciation for his great sacrifice on the cross that has brought us to such a heavenly place, a perfect place. And like that luxury trip to an all-exclusive hotel in Barbados, can I just tell you that heaven is costly? It costs to get to paradise. Man, it costs Jesus his life. He gave us everything he had, every drop of blood, so that you and I could live in the dwelling place with God without the hindrance of sin, a place called heaven. Friends, a day is coming, I'm telling you, when Jesus will return. A day is coming where all this injustice that you're reading about, all this evil that is surrounding us, all this unrest and wickedness will one day fade away. Friends, a day is coming. A day is coming. Well, there'll be no more tears and no more pain and no more heartache and no more sin. A day is coming when Jesus will return and we will meet God face to face as one friend meets another friend. Friends, a day is coming when we'll have a great reunion with one another and those people that have passed away before us will meet them and know them and love them again. Friends, a day is coming when God will show us around his great and holy city and the devil will be persecuted and be put away into a a place of torment called hell forever. Friends, a day is coming where God will be victorious and we won't need light because God will be the light. A day is coming where Satan will be crushed and we won't have to worry about his schemes or death or pain. A day is coming when we will be shown in completeness God himself and live with God forever in a place called heaven. Revelation 19. Behold, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with, with which strikes down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, 
and with it the false prophet. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him to the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until a thousand years had ended and after that he must be set free for a short time but when the thousand years are over satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth gog and magog and gather them for battle in number they are like the sand of the seashore they marched across the breadth of heaven and surrounded the camp of god's people the city he loves but fire came down from heaven and devoured them and the devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of the burning sulfur where the beast and the prophets had been thrown they will be tormented day and night forever and forever Then I saw a great throne, white, and him who was seated on it. And the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come.